today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. Boast in their pride and be proud of their pride. But Moab, these were nobodies. Which goes to tell you, and I think, again, there's a lesson here for us. And it has to do with pride is so insidious. And it doesn't matter, little or small, pride can set in. And we can find ourselves like Moab here in all of our arrogance. Pride goes before the fall. Despite this well-known phrase, many fall to the sin of pride. Pastor J.D. shares in today's message that pride can be sneaky. You might start with a slight feeling of personal success, but before you know it, it's ballooned into a colossal problem. Big or small, run from pride of any kind. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Isaiah, chapter 16, with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. There in the book of Revelation, John in chapter 1 is told to write that which he has seen, past, that which is now, present, and that which is future. And so the whole book of Revelation is past, present, and future. Past is chapter 1. John was an eyewitness of Jesus Christ, crucified, buried, resurrected, and glorified. That's chapter 1. And he wrote in chapter 1, past tense. And then he wrote present, chapters 2 and 3, seven letters to seven churches. It's actually the church of Smyrna. Very interesting church. So you've got seven churches that literally existed at the time that the revelation was given to John to write. And not only were these seven letters to these seven churches sent to them then, they have prophetic significance for us now. And so chapters 2 and 3 are present. Everything from chapter 4 verse 1 on is future. I love chapter 4 verse 1, and so do you, right? Because John, at the sound of what is a trumpet, is told to, wait for it, (laughs) come up here. That's the rapture. That's the rapture. And from chapter 4 verse 1 on, it's all future. Chapter 6 through 19, the seven-year tribulation. Chapter 20, the millennium. Chapters 21 and 22, eternity future, the new heavens and the new earth. I mean beautiful divine outline there in the book of Revelation. And actually for those of you that have been with us for any length of period of time, you know that this is very significant because the word church is mentioned 19 times in chapters 1 through 3. And when you get to chapter 4 verse 1 on, you don't find the word church anywhere. In chapters 6 through 19 you will not find the word church. Why? Because chapters 6 through 19 deal with the seven-year tribulation, and the church is not in the seven-year tribulation. I'm sorry if I'm getting snarky, 
but the church has to be raptured before the seven year tribulation. Okay? All right. Yeah. So this is not dealing with the church. It's dealing with Israel. In fact, that's the, and you know this, this rap. We need to put this to music, don't we? Where's Capono? We need to get this to music. The purpose of the tribulation is for the salvation of the Jewish nation. I have not done that in a while. So there you go. Now this is going to be important here in Revelation 12.6, because we're told then the woman, who's that? Israel fled. Where? Into the wilderness, <laughs> where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. That's three and a half years. This is Petra. 1997, my wife and I were able to visit Petra. My family's there. My cousin took us there to Petra. And it was, this was BC, not before Christ, it was before children, because we could travel then. There's only one entrance, and here's this, this impenetrable rock fortress that you enter. And I mean, there are all of these places that you can be protected in, and God Himself is going to protect Israel for the last three and a half years in this ancient city known today as Petra in modern day Jordan. So convinced were some Bible scholars of old that they actually took passages like the ones we just read here in Matthew and Revelation, and they put them in these earthen vessels to preserve them, and they hid them in Petra. So when the Jews got there, they'd be like, oh, that's it, that, that, this, this is us, this is this, this is what, that, that, wow. Revelation 12, verses 13 and 14. Now when the dragon, Satan, saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman. Who's the woman? Thank you so much. Who gave birth to the male child. That's capitalized in your Bible, right? Who's that? I know this is going to be shocking, but Jesus was a Jew. I know, right? No, you, would, you wouldn't know that today. Because you see, there's a movement, I don't know if you know this or not, it's gaining traction in the church in America, that Jesus was a Palestinian. Oh good, thank you for laughing like that, because it's laughable. <laughs> First of all, there's no such thing as a Palestinian. There are no more Philistines. It is a farce. Who were the arch enemy of the Israelites? The Philistines. So it was originally called Philistia, which is transliterated Philistine or Palestine, Palestinian. That's how it got its name. For 2,000 years, well nigh 2,000 years, it was called Palestine, not because of the Palestinians. That's 
because of the name of the enemy of the Israelites. In fact, before 1948, I mean, I'm, I'm already there. I might as well just do it. Prior to 1948, May 14th, when Israel was reborn as a nation in a day, fulfilling, by the way, Bible prophecy in Ezekiel, down to the gnat's eyebrow. And yes, again, gnats have eyebrows. It was that specific. Ezekiel inquiring of the Lord, can a nation be born in a day? And that's exactly what happened. And when Israel was reborn as a nation on May 14, 1948, the prophecy clock started. In fact, I would argue that it started to speed up. And then when you get to 1967 and the miraculous six-day war, when Israel recaptured their eternal capital of Jerusalem, that's when it really started to speed up. And that was a major fulfillment of Bible prophecy that set in motion that final generation that would be alive at the coming and the return of the Son of Man. So the Jews in that time, prior to 1948, do you know they were called Palestinians? How about that? So the Arabs were also called Palestinians prior to 1948. So then Israel's reborn as a nation, and now we refer to them affectionately as the Jewish people. And then all of a sudden you've got now these Palestinians, and they lay claims to the land. And there's the lie, I'm going to call it that, that when the Jews returned to the land, they took it from the so-called Palestinians, which were actually Arabs. So we're talking about the Moabites. These are modern day Jordanians. These are Arab people. If you want to get specific, they're Moabites. But you've got a lot of different people groups that would constitute what we call today the Arab people. You've got Moabites, Jebusites, all the ites. Basically a mixing of people groups, all constituting what we call the Arab people today. And and this was huge for me, by the way, growing up, because, you know, when I realized there was no such thing as a Palestinian, my dad was Egyptian, and I'm like, who am I? <laughs> I know who I am. But if I'm not a Palestinian, what am I? You're an Arab. Deal with it. <laughs> okay, so I'm an Arab. I'm a mixture of all of these different people groups, Moabites, Jebusites, so the problem is, is that these Arabs came up with, and it came from the father of lies, this lie that the Jews took their land. They did not take their land. In fact, there were no Arabs in the land. And the Arabs that were there, the landowners, the Jews bought their land for an exorbitant amount of money. And it was swamp land. And you know what they did? They started planting trees and they turned those malaria-infested swamp land that they bought 
for exorbitant prices into these lush, and that fulfilled another prophecy in Ezekiel. I mean, the land flowing with milk and honey, and you go to Israel today, ah, I'm starting to wax sentimental here. Let's move on. So the dragon, Satan, sees that he had been cast to the earth. He persecuted the woman, Israel, who gave birth to the male child, Jesus. But, verse 14, the woman was given two wings of a great eagle. Now stop right there too. We have a problem here because many have suggested that this is a reference to the United States, because that's our national symbol. This is not a reference to the United States of America. That does not comport. It is incompatible with Bible prophecy, because we know that at this time no nation stands with Israel, by design, by the way, by God's design, because it will be only God. All the nations of the earth will be gathered against her. The reference here to a great eagle, eagle in Scripture is a type of divinity. It is a picture of God Himself. The eagle is a type in typology of deity, of God that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time, three and a half years, from the presence of the serpent, for the last three and a half years of the seven-year tribulation. Uh, one more real quick typology here, and we'll, we'll move on. Uh, I love typology. I, I bet you couldn't tell. <laughs> but Israel is saved in the midst of the seven-year tribulation, at the halfway point, at the midpoint. In the midst of the seven-year tribulation, the Jewish nation comes to salvation. They flee for the last three and a half years to Petra, Jordan, where God Himself will take care of them until that time is complete and the second coming when they call upon Him, whom they uh, wounded and pierced. And He comes with us, ten thousands by His side, as one so aptly said it. At the rapture, Jesus comes for us. At the second coming, Jesus comes with us as His bride by His side. Now here in the midst of the seven-year tribulation, Israel is saved. Well, we have a type in Daniel, and we know it as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they're thrown into this seven times hotter fiery furnace. Why? Because they refuse to worship the image that they were to bow down and worship. And oh, by the way, Another very interesting typology, uh, 60 cubits by six with six instruments played, and they were to bow down and worship, six, six, six. And they refused. And they were cast into the seven times, not five, not six, not eight. Again, I'm sorry if I sound snarky when I say this. Seven. Count them. Seven times hotter fiery furnace. They're in the midst 
of the seven times hotter fiery furnace. And what happens? They get saved. (laughs) How did they get saved? Oh, because Jesus saved them. That's Jesus in the furnace in the midst of the seven-year tribulation. It's kind of humorous. I I love it. I don't want to take it too far, which I always do, but it's so humorous. It's because, you know, here's, you know, Nebuchadnezzar going, "Um, didn't we throw three guys in there? Yeah. I see four, and one looks like the Son of God. And then he says, get out. If I'm Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I'm like, no, we're good. I'm fine right. You threw me in here in the first place. What, what do you mean, come out now? They're saved in the midst of the seven times hotter fiery furnace, a picture of Israel who will be saved in the midst of the seven year tribulation. Question, where's Daniel? Oh, he's not there. Where is he? Oh, before the seven times hotter fiery furnace, Daniel is taken up, exalted to a high position, (laughs) pre-furnace. Thank you for laughing. Daniel's a picture of the church. We've talked many times about the typology replete throughout the Old Testament. You have this typology of the rapture, the raptures in the Old Testament, where you have a picture, a type of the church taken out before the tribulation. And that's just one of actually many. Verse 6, we have heard, here it is now, of the pride of Moab. (laughs) He is very proud. What are they so proud of? Oh, their haughtiness. Wait, what? They're proud of their pride. Listen, I, I could be rightfully accused of being very proud of my humility, and even humble about my pride, but proud of your pride? That's pretty proud. That's pride. You're very proud of his haughtiness and his pride and his wrath. But his lies shall not be so. Well, this again is the the takeaway, I believe, from this that applies to us. This is why. This is the why behind the what. This prophecy against Moab. It's because of their pride. We also see this same prophecy in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 48, beginning in verse 29. We have heard of Moab's pride. How great is her arrogance of her insolence, her pride, her conceit, and the haughtiness of her heart. I know her insolence, but it is futile, declares the Lord, and her boasts accomplish nothing. You know what's interesting about Moab? At this time, 
they really had nothing to be proud of. They were just a small, really powerless, you know, Babylon, the Assyrians. Yeah, they could probably boast in their pride and be proud of their pride. But Moab, these were nobodies. Which goes to tell you, and I think, again, there's a lesson here for us. And it has to do with pride is so insidious, and it doesn't matter, little or small, pride can set in. And we can find ourselves like Moab here in all of our arrogance. Verse 7, therefore Moab shall wail for Moab, everyone shall wail for the foundations of Kir Haraseth you shall mourn. Surely they are stricken, for the fields, verse 8, of Heshbon languish, and the vine of Sibmah, the lords of the nations, have broken down its choice plants, which have reached to Jazer and wandered through the wilderness. Her branches are stretched out. They are gone over the sea. Therefore, I will bewail the vine of Sibmah with the weeping of Jazer. I will drench you with my tears, O Heshbon and Elielah, for battle cries have fallen over your summer fruits and your harvest. Verse 10, gladness is taken away, and joy from the plentiful field in the vineyards. There will be no singing, nor will there be shouting. No treaders will tread out wine in the presses. I have made their shouting cease. Therefore, verse 11, my heart shall resound like a harp for Moab, and my inner being for Kir Heres, and it shall come to pass when it is seen that Moab is weary on the high place, that he will come. I want you to pay particular attention to this. He will come to his sanctuary. Oh, interesting. Not my sanctuary. He's going to go to His sanctuary to pray, but He will not prevail. In other words, He's going to go to His gods, which are no gods at all, which is why He will not prevail. Were He to come into my sanctuary, well then, now we can talk. Now I will hear from on high and hearken unto the voice of His cry. Verse 13 and 14, and we'll end the chapter. This is the word which the Lord has spoken concerning Moab since that time. But now the Lord has spoken, saying, Within three years, as the years of a hired man, the glory of Moab will be despised with all that great multitude, and the remnant will be very small and feeble. What a way to end the chapter, but here again we have yet another invitation. Moab, oh Moab, humble yourself, repent, 
We're so glad you joined us for this edition of In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. If you think that the gospel is only in our first four books of the New Testament, you'll quickly learn through this book of Isaiah that the gospel is mentioned throughout. It must have been interesting for Isaiah to write the things he did in the course of his life. He was a prophet used by God who lived while several kings of Judah reigned. From their outright wicked behavior to a king like Hezekiah, Isaiah experienced the people living in rebellion and then turning toward God, realizing their need for him. God used Isaiah in a mighty way to influence these kings and to speak to them about what was yet to come. God can use you in the place you're at today as well. It may not seem as influential or powerful of a position, but God has you right where he wants you, to use you in the place you are. Are you involved in a local church? If not, we invite you to join us at Calvary Chapel Kaneohe. We meet on Sundays at 8.30 or 10.45 a.m. and Thursdays at 7 p.m. for Bible study with Pastor J.D. You can get directions at our website, calvarychapelkaneohe.com. While you're there, be sure to check out Pastor J.D.'s additional teachings as well as his Mideast Prophecy Updates, an accurate look at what the Bible has to say about this time in our world. That's all we have for today, but thanks for tuning in to spend this time with us. We hope you'll join Pastor J.D. for our next edition as we learn more valuable things from this interesting book of Isaiah right here on In Spirit and Truth.